special holiday season announcement. All of the oldtimeradiodvd.com collections are on sale, including Extreme Platinum TV Box. Let's make this the greatest and the best Christmas ever. Own your very own collection of classic TV, movies, cliffhangers, cartoons, old-time radio, and the best entertainment device ever, Extreme Platinum. Go to oldtimeradiodvd.com. There you'll find bare-bones pricing on everything. Give the gift that keeps on giving, oldtimeradiodvd.com. You'll be glad you did. students Keith Houghton from Kingston University and Alan Scott from the Student Awards Agency for Scotland. All three have websites which you can find among the links on our own website bbc.co.uk forward slash moneybox. You can listen again, download a podcast and call our information line on 0800 044 044. Paul Lewis will keep you up to date with the latest personal finance news in Moneybox at noon on Saturday. I'll be back same time next Wednesday afternoon and with the deadline looming for those who prefer to send in a self-assessment tax return on paper, the subject will be tax. Vincent Duggleby and the producer was Leslie McAlpine. Eddie Izzard and Frank Skinner reminisce about the good old days. I used to do a, a club now and again in south-west London, which you yes. regularly hosted. I did, I regularly hosted. And, if I may say so, you were a bit hit and miss. <laughs> I was improvising. Yes. I was saying, so cats, could they take over the world? We don't know. Maybe some of them. Maybe the blue ones. I mean, because they only blue at night, which you shine a torch on them and you can't see them. If they're, if they're, if that extra paw, you know that, that little toe they've got halfway as, up As in? I say, it was hit and miss. Comedy conversation in Chain Reaction. BBC Radio 4, Wednesday evenings at half past six. Now, continuing our Christie Week celebrations, here's the second in our trio of stories featuring Mr Harley Quinn. Agatha Christie's The Mysterious Mr. Quinn. The Soul of the Croupier. Read by Martin Jarvis. Mr. Satterthwaite was enjoying the sunshine on the terrace at Monte Carlo. He observed the Countess Tsarnova coming towards him. He had seen the Countess at Monte Carlo for many seasons now. The first time she had been in the company of a Grand Duke but lately she was much seen with very young men, almost boys. She was with a young man now. Franklin Rudge was an American, crude, but perhaps lovable. It occurred to Mr. Satterthwaite that the Countess Tsarnova was a most unsuitable friend for young Rudge. As they passed, she gave a charming bow and smile. She was tall, superbly made. Her hair was black, so were her eyes, and her eyelashes and eyebrows were more superbly black than any nature had ever fashioned. Mr. Satterthwaite rendered immediate homage to the art with which she was made up. Her complexion appeared to be flawless. She was dressed in a daring creation of black and white, and carried a parasol of the shade of pinky red, which is most helpful to the complexion. Franklin Rudge was looking important, young fool, said Mr. Satterthwaite to himself. There was an attractive little American girl in the party. She wouldn't like Rudge's new friendship. He caught sight of the girl in question coming up the path. She wore good, sensible walking shoes and carried a guidebook. Good morning, Mr. Satterthwaite, said Elizabeth Martin. Have you seen Franklin anywhere about? I saw him just a few minutes ago. With his friend, the Countess? Yes. 
That countess doesn't cut any ice with me. Franklin's just crazy about her. Why? I can't think. She has a very charming manner, I believe. Do you know her? Slightly. Is she a real countess? She may be. <laughs> said Elizabeth, and went on towards the casino. Mr. Satterthwaite was presently joined by Franklin Rudge. Say, you know the countess, don't you? Uh, slightly, said Mr. Satterthwaite. What an exquisite creature. Aristocrat to her fingertips. Is she? Sure. She was a Radzinski, one of the oldest families in Hungary. You know that great rope of pearls she wears? Given her by the King of Bosnia. She smuggled some secret papers out of the kingdom for him. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you something more. The more Mr. Satterthwaite listened, the more he admired the fertile imagination of the Countess Tsarnova. And, sir, do you know how old she is? I should have guessed twenty-nine, but she told me of her own accord that she was thirty-five. Mr. Satterthwaite, whose private estimate of the lady's age was between forty-five and forty-nine, merely raised his eyebrows. Later, the Countess and Mr. Satterthwaite were tete-a-tete on the terrace. That nice American boy, she said, I have told him much of my life. Indeed. Few would credit the amazing things that have happened to me. Mr. Satterthwaite nodded. After all, the stories that she had told Franklin Rudge might be the truth. The Countess looked out across the bay. He stole a sideways glance. In one temple a pulse was beating. He felt a strange new certitude. She was a creature desperate and driven. She would be merciless to anyone who stood between her and Franklin Rudge. But she was rich. Was it love, then? Women of her age did fall in love with boys. That night he watched her at roulette. Again and again she staked, only to see her stake swept away. Eventually, with a little graceful shrug of the shoulders, she turned away. It was at that moment Mr. Satterthwaite recognized a friend. My dear Mr. Quinn, the last place I should ever have dreamed of seeing you. Mr. Quinn smiled, his dark, attractive face lighting up. It is carnival time. I am often here in carnival time. Well, this is a great pleasure, Mr. Quinn said. I'm sure there is much that you want to tell me. There is indeed. He unfolded his perplexities. The Countess, young Franklin, uncompromising Elizabeth. You have changed since I met you, said Mr. Quinn. In what way? You were content then to look on. Now you want to take part. It is true. But will you help me? The following day, Mr. Satterthwaite confided to Mr. Quinn... Mirabel is arriving in Monte this evening. Ah, the Parisian stage favorite. Yes, the King of Bosnia's latest craze. He has showered jewels on her, I believe. Mirabel was a slim creature with a wonderful head of dyed fair hair, dressed in something that looked like a glorified bird of paradise, and she wore chains of jewels hanging down her bare back. She created a sensation when she appeared in the casino, the countess came late, and a low murmur ran round as she walked unconcernedly to one of the centre roulette tables. She was in white, a mere straight slip of maroquin, such as a debutante might have worn.
She wore not a single jewel. Oh, it is clever, that, said Mr. Satterthwaite. He himself walked over and stood by the table. From time to time he placed a stake. He made his final stake for the evening and placed the maximum on number five. The Countess, in her turn, leaned forward and placed the maximum on number six. Faites vos jeux, called the croupier. Rien ne va plus. The ball spun. Click. Ah! The croupier, having raked in the other stakes, pushed forward Mr. Satterthwaite's winnings. He put his hand out to take them. The Countess did the same. The croupier looked from one to the other. A madame, he said. The Countess picked up the money. Mr. Satterthwaite drew back. He remained a gentleman. He rejoined Mr. Quinn, who said, Too bad, but listen, we are to meet your friend Rudge later. I'm giving a little supper at Le Caveau, a hedges and highways party. Each one goes out and is bound in honour to invite the first person he meets. Mr. Satterthwaite was so fortunate as to run straight into Elizabeth Martin. At Le Caveau, they found a table spread for supper. We are the first, said Mr. Satterthwaite. Ah, here comes... It was Franklin, with the Countess. Last of all came Mr. Quinn. With him was a small dark man, a croupier who earlier had made such a lamentable mistake. Let me introduce Monsieur Pierre Vaucher said Mr. Quinn. Supper was brought, wine came. Franklin Rudge became talkative. I'll tell you a true story about a young man who made good. But Pierre Vaucher leaned forward. I will tell you a story, he said. In Paris there was a young man, a working jeweler. He was industrious. They said there was a future before him. And then one morning he sees a girl, beautiful perhaps if she were not half-starved, but she has a magic he cannot resist. She has been struggling to find work. She tells him she is virtuous. I do not know if it was true. The Countess said suddenly, Why should it not be true? The young man married her. I will call her Jeanne. It was a good action. He told her she should be grateful he had sacrificed much for her sake. A charming beginning for the poor girl, observed the Countess. He loved her. But she maddened him, called to him one day, passionate the next. At last he saw she had never loved him. She had married only to keep body and soul together. Still, he felt he deserved gratitude and obedience. They quarreled. She left him. For two years he was alone. He had one friend, Absinthe. The business did not prosper. And then one day he came in to find her sitting there, beautifully dressed, rings on her hands. His heart was beating. Madame desires, he said. That surprised her. Pierre, she said, I have come back. You wish to be forgiven, he said. You want me to take you back? Do you want me back? He knew she was laying a trap. He longed to seize her in his arms, but he pretended indifference. No, I am a Christian man, he said. Ah, he thought, I will humble her to her knees. But Jeanne laughed. 
Look at these rich clothes, little Pierre, she said, these rings and bracelets. I came to show myself to you. I thought I would make you take me in your arms, and then I would spit in your face and tell you how I hated you. And she went away. Can you believe, messieurs, that a woman could be as evil to come back only to torment me? No, said the countess. I would not believe it. And so that young man sank lower and lower. He found work in the south as a croupier. And there in the casino one evening, he saw her. She did not recognize him. She appeared rich, but no. There came an evening when she placed her last stake in the world on the table. Ask me not how I know. Her jewels? Was I not a jeweler? Long ago the real jewels have gone. And now the end. She puts all on one number. The ball rolls. She has lost. Her eyes meet mine. What do I do? I rob the English gentleman. To madame, I say, and pay over the money. There came a crash as the countess sprang to her feet and leaned across the table, sweeping her glass onto the floor. Why? she cried. Why did you do it? Pierre Vaucher smiled. Madame, there is such a thing as pity. She sank down. I see. She was herself again. An interesting story, Monsieur Vaucher. Permit me. She deftly rolled up a spill, lighted it at the candle, and held it towards him. The flame caught the tip of his cigarette. She rose. And now? I must leave. And she was gone. A startled oath came from the Frenchman. He was staring at the half-burned spill on the table. He unrolled it. Mon Dieu! A fifty-thousand-franc banknote... You understand her winnings tonight, all that she has in the world, and she lighted my cigarette with it because she was too proud to accept pity. Ah, she was always proud as the devil. She is unique, wonderful. He leapt from his seat and darted out. Well, I feel kind of lonesome, Elizabeth remarked Franklin Rudge. These foreigners, they beat the band. I don't understand them. Gee, it's good to look at anything so 100% American as you. Let's go. And they went out into the night together. Mr. Satterthwaite was preening himself like a contented bird. Well, our pair of lovebirds will be all right now. Which ones? asked Mr. Quinn. Oh, said Mr. Satterthwaite. Well, I suppose you are right, allowing for the Latin point of view. Mr. Quinn smiled, and a stained glass panel behind him invested him for just a moment in a motley garment of coloured light. Martin Jarvis was reading The Soul of the Croupier by Agatha Christie. The Mysterious Mr. Quinn is a Jarvis and Ayres production for BBC Radio 4.
And tomorrow, Mr Quinn unravels a mystery involving the strange disappearance of an amiable young husband. Well, there's another mystery for you now on Radio 4 as Tom Mangold continues his investigation of the Bermuda Triangle. Having solved one of the area's most famous aircraft disappearances yesterday, Tom now turns his attention to the seas of the Triangle to fathom two supposedly inexplicable maritime mysteries as he goes inside the Bermuda Triangle. One of the most notorious examples of Bermuda Triangle insoluble mysteries has always been that of the USS Cyclops, a 20,000-ton U.S. Navy coal carrier launched in...